Bible study, the redemption and the adoption of our bodies in the heavenly places. Hmm. That's a beautiful thing to think about. It's uncomprehensible. I, uh, I cannot fathom that, the redemption. The redemption part I cannot fathom. The adoption, the spiritual adoption that's for the church is hard to even fathom. You will have a concept of that, but it's still somewhat hard to fathom. The glorification I cannot fathom because I'm still in this human body. I cannot even fathom the glorification for the church, the body of Christ. Getting ahead of myself there. Wow. Exciting. Hello, everyone. This is Joseph Brownlee of Connecting the Dots. Joseph Brownlee of Connecting the Dots. Let's get into some more Bible study. This is a continuation of the book of Romans 8. I will be leading right off to Romans 8 and 26. I just left off, you know, from the previous verses in Romans 8. I hope you get something out of that. But this is just a continuation. And I will try to finish up in Romans 8 in this section itself. So let's get right into it. I stopped in Romans 26. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Connecting the Dots. If you just tuned it in to this teaching, I'm doing a series in the book of Romans 4, 5, 6, and 7. I have already completed. I am now in, in to Romans 8 right now. I'm almost finished. I'm at the 26th verse, which goes up to 39 verses in Romans 8. I'm at the 26th verse, which Romans chapter 8 has 39 verses. So I'm in verse 26 about the Spirit helps our prayers or help us while we're going through our firmness, our trials and our struggles physically and mentally. So let's get straight on to that because I want more time to be on God's word and not me rambling and talking and over explaining. Okay. Verse 26. Likewise, the spirit also helps our infirmities, helps our in our struggles. Let's look at the living Bible has the living Bible says this and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Now, that groanings is very deep. I had a definition on the groanings. I don't have it bad now, but that groanings is very deep. It's, it's, it's something we cannot comprehend. It's an interpretation. It's an understanding that only God can under, well, God can understand everything you're saying because we have the spirit man and the Holy Spirit talks through our spirit. The Holy Spirit talks through our spirit. That's the, that's the church, the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit talks to our spirit. Now, let me just talk about something right here. There's such a difference between our blessings and our future home for the body of Christ compared to the millennium kingdom and Israel. And it's a shame that, and even I was guilty of this myself, but I'm not anymore, thank God, that we just try to put all that together. The millennium kingdom, the second coming of Christ, and the rapture. That's confusing. I never even thought about that's confusing when you think about all oh, that is the same thing. It is not. The rapture of the church, the catching away of the church, is different from the second coming of Christ. Let me repeat that. The catching away of the church, the glorious appearing, the blessed hope, the more familiar way of remembering or uh, knowing what I'm talking about is the rapture of the church. 
is not the same as the second coming of Christ. Let me explain to you a little bit more, a little bit more. Christ will not set foot on an earth when he comes or calls his church, the body of Christ. Let me say that again. Christ will not set foot on the earth when he calls the church, the body of Christ, when it comes to the rapture of the church. Compare this with the second coming. Listen closely, believer. Christ will set his foot on earth in an area called the Mount of Olives, the same way he left in Luke, in the book of Acts, the same way when he went up into the heavenly places to get to prepare the body of Christ. Yes, he went into the heavenly places. First of all, let me go back. I don't want to be saying this wrong. When he went into the heavenly places, he was doing a continuation on the kingdom program because that was been that was the gospel then. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to do a little teaching on the the uh, the teachings of Jesus' earthly ministry. What did Jesus teach and the disciples? This is very important, and it should give you an understanding the differences of the two programs. It's very important for believers today. But when Jesus went into the heavenly places, what did he do? He sat on the right hand side of God. Now, you can look at that in any way. Was it physical or spiritual? You know, it just says he sat on the right hand of God. You can't try to spiritualize that or try to use allegories. He sat on the right hand of God. It was only one time that Jesus, not one time, but Jesus did stand. And that's in the book of Acts when Stephen got stoned and he seen Jesus standing. And that was the reason Jesus was standing. But I'm not going to teach that now. It's very important. And there was Jesus in the book of Psalms and other books talks about that. When Jesus is in the heavenly places, on the right hand side of God, he's sitting. But when he makes his enemies his footstool that Paul talks about, and you can only get this teaching from the Apostle Paul, is nowhere else in the Bible. Sorry, There's, it's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not in the time past, or it's not in the Old Testament. You know, the only way you get this type of teaching is from the Apostle Paul. Jesus only way, only reason Jesus stood up in Acts 7 because he was going to come down on earth and bring down the wrath when it comes to Acts 7, okay? And I know I'm going around about, but you know me, I try to get something out there. So when Stephen got stoned, he said he saw Jesus standing. It wasn't because Jesus was holding up his arm and said, you've done a good job, my martyr. No, it was because Jesus was standing. There's only one reason Jesus stand when he's going to come down for his wrath and bring in the millennial kingdom after his wrath. But it got postponed. So, Joe, where you going with this? I don't know. But I said, I just want to give you some freebies. <laughs> okay. Jesus went into the heavenly places. Let me digress and get back. I'm having a little fun here. But that is true. Jesus went to the heavenly places to try to do a continuation with the kingdom program. All right. But when he comes back, he's going to set foot on earth physically. The rapture of the church, he don't. He calls us and we meet him in the air. The church. When he sets foot back on the Mount of Olives, the same way he left and the earthquake came, you know, that's the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord means that the, um, the wrath of God is coming down, the tribulation period. 
Okay, that's the only time Christ will set his the second coming. It's not the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is not the second coming. Two different events. One is foretold is going to happen. The rapture of the church was never foretold. That can happen anytime. That's a mystery that was only told to Paul. Paul don't even know. He thought it was coming in this time, according to First Thessalonians. He thought it would have happened in this time. The catching away of the church it is, the rapture. Because God never gave him a time like he did when Christ come the second time for the Israel kingdom program. Okay, I wanted to get that out there. All right. Now, what was I at? What was I at? All right. I read in uh, the vernacular in a, uh, the Living Bible, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. I like the way plainly that says in the Living Bible. Okay. The King Jimmy says, uh, likewise, the Spirit also helps our helpless, our infirmities, our weakness, our struggles, our issues, mentally and physically, for we know not what we should pray for. We don't know what to pray for. Sometimes don't you get in that situation you have no idea what you want to pray for or what to say. I know I do. We I, sometimes I don't pray enough like I used to, man. I need to do better than that. But I also know a lot of my prayers was wasted prayers. Say, Joe, what do you mean by that? It was a traditional type of prayer. I used to pray, I used to pray to our Father, which out in heaven as well, till I understood there was a prayer for Israel and their time when they're going to build a millennial kingdom. It wasn't for the church, the body of Christ. I'm not going to get into that. But those that prayer was mixed up with a whole lot of other prayers that I was basically taught how to pray and what to say, mainly from not the Bible so much, you know. We was pray we was taught to pray certain scriptures out of the Bible. But what do you mean about wasted prayer, Joe? When you learn your position in Christ, prayer is one of them. You learn how to pray. I have learned how to pray the right way of prayer. That means I don't pray any scripture in the Bible for it to happen in my life. Really, Joe? Do you believe it? Yes, everything in the Bible is inspired by God. Yes, that is true. But I don't pray everything in the Bible for me. Why? Because there's different programs. There was different times when people prayed. You have to understand, and I'm going to get back to that. You have to understand, church, when you pray today, every prayer and every blessing is not meant for you in the Bible. The whole Bible is to us, but the whole Bible it's not for us. You probably heard that before. If you haven't, you're going to hear it again. Let me say that again. The whole Bible is to us, but the whole Bible is not for us. One more time. The whole Bible, the whole scripture, scriptures, plural, is to us, but we don't do everything out of the scriptures and everything in the scriptures is not for us. Us as in who? The body of Christ, the church today. You have prayers that was for time past, the saints in time past. You have prayers that was used in the wilderness and the times of Moses when they walked through the wilderness and they had certain prayers. You had certain prayers that only prophets can use and it was manifest for them. I'm going somewhere with this. Prophets and different prayers. You had certain prayers, you know, 
that the disciples pray when they ask Jesus, how should we pray? And then Jesus told them how to pray, but this was only for the disciples only and the little flock. Jesus told them how to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why did he say on earth? Because they're going to be reigning on earth. Did you know that? It's something that's only been taught by what? The body of Christ. You will understand that. And this is not a teaching from the Apostle Paul. This is a connecting the dots. You can find this out yourself. That you have to match. You have to separate programs when you pray. You can't pray everything. You can't pray Jabez's prayer. You can't pray King David's prayer. Now, it's good to know those prayers. And I'm not saying you can't use nothing out of the, the, uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and nothing. I'm not saying that because some of those things are universal. They work. You know, they work. They don't manifest themselves today, but it's good to know them because we need to understand and learn the whole Bible. Because what? The Bible is for our learning. The scriptures is for our learning. That don't mean it's going to happen in our life, but it was just showing the things that God done for the other people. And he's doing something different today. That's a magnificent God. And sometimes we just want, to, want everything to happen for Israel to happen for us today. And it just do not. It does not because it's two different programs. Okay. So prayer, you need to understand what to pray and how to pray. So when you understand when you're in the body of Christ and you learn how to connect the dots and rightly divide, that's going to change your prayer life. You're going to understand, no, I can't pray that because that was for them. But I can pray this and this dispensation because it's for the body of Christ. Now, some prayers are universal. You can use some prayers in the Gospels, yes. But most of the time, you have to go through the teachings, Romans through Philemon, the 13 letters of epistles from the Apostle Paul, and find out how did he pray, or what way should we pray. That's a commandment, not in commandment as in the law, but it only manifests itself when you pray and keep it in your own, and stay with your own mail and stop stealing somebody else's prayer, if you understand what I'm saying. So when he, he says... Here, <clears throat> we should pray for as we don't know what to pray for as we are. We don't know what to pray. Sometimes I get stuck sometimes. But listen to this. Even if we, this is a beautiful thing, even if we, and it's only for the church today, the body of Christ. They didn't have all this in time past. They have supernatural powers. The Holy Spirit moved through them in certain ways. And upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Holy Spirit is sealed inside the body of Christ, Christ today. The church today, male and female. But back then, he used to come upon them and give them power. That's why Samson and David and all the other and the prophets was able, and Elijah and Elijah was able to do those things because the Holy Spirit came in a miraculous way on them only for signs and wonders for Israel, not for the church today. See, so even their, more, their prayers is more miraculous than the church today. That don't mean it was better. It was just for Israel. God was doing something different. That's my plan. But that's what I'm trying to say. So our prayers today can get stuck, and we don't know what to pray for. So we try to go in the scriptures and try to find somebody else's prayer, you know, famous Jabez prayer and stuff like that, and find out why it don't work. No, because it was for Israel. It was a movement that the Holy Spirit was working in a different way, not like he's working today. Okay. Went a long way about that, but we need to understand that. You can get stuck in today of not knowing what to pray for. You just get stuck. I don't care how long you've been praying or how less you've been praying. But either way it go, remember the Holy Spirit knows what you're trying to pray for anyway, even though you cannot say it in words. 
So he indwells that, he sends that to the spirit man. And the spirit man prays to God. So our prayers is always answered. Yea or nay. Our prayers is always answered because the Holy Spirit knows what we pray for. He puts it in the right perspective. He puts it and makes sense out of it. That God understands anyway what we're trying to pray so we don't have to get stuck. I don't know how to cry. Even our cry is a prayer. Even our silent voices or our thoughts is a prayer. And when you don't know how to say it in words, the Holy Spirit prays to our spirit and makes it known to God. Got that? Okay. 27, and he that searches the hearts knows what's in the mind. The mind. What is the mind? Remember, I talked about that earlier. It's the spirit of man. It's the inner man. Not so much your thoughts and whatever like that, but your inner man, your inner, the mind of the spirit. What is in the mind of the spirit? Like, well, just interpret it itself. Because he makes intercession for the saints according, listen to this, to the will of God. Our prayer is only be according to the will of God. That's, and that's another reason you can't just use anybody's prayer. It has to be within the will of God. God's number one will today is for all men and women to be saved and then come into the knowledge of the truth. Okay, that's his number one will. I think that's First Timothy 2 and 4. That's his number one will. But a lot of people talk about permissive will and stuff like that, you know. But whenever you pray for it, got to be within the will of God and the right dispensation and the right program though you just can't grab scriptures out of the bible and pray and ask god to move it doesn't work like that he knows to go outside his program to work today he has a beautiful program and we must pray the prayers that's for us today unless it's universal what i mean by that unless it can what happened back then you could pray that today but you got to know when and why but the majority of the way to pray is in the teachings of the apostle paul okay 28 8 and 28 and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to this purpose. That's, that's just letting you know right now. Who is them? It's not anybody. It's got to be the church, the body of Christ. And we know all things that work together for good to them. Let's say the body of Christ, the church. Not everybody, not every creation cannot pray to God. It just bounce off the wall unless you finna believe what Jesus done for you. Unless you finna accept Christ in your heart by believing in his death, burial, resurrection. Yes, that's different. Okay. That love God to them who are called according to his purpose. When you are saved, you're also called into the purpose of God. God has a purpose for the church. First of all, his purpose for us, we are ambassadors. <laughs> Excuse me. And we are given the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to do a little teaching on that in another thing, okay? So we do have a purpose. We are ambassadors, and we are reconcilers to tell the world about the good news, what Jesus done on the cross. You know, that's the purpose of God. We have personal ministries and whatever like that, but it all leads to that one purpose, soul winning. Okay, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, there's uh, a belief and a teaching that can be confusing when it comes to predestination. Now, some of the churches, denomination churches, is a Calvinist church. You have Calvinist churches. You have, you have uh, a Calvinist compared to a dispensationist type of thinker or reader or believer. Calvinists believe that 
you know, I'm not saying all of them. And they use points and stuff like that. I don't understand it. Some denominations and traditions make the word of God so confusing. But the word predestinate in the Bible, according to most denominational teachings, they, this is the teaching of a Calvinist or Lordship Salvation. Excuse me. The Ray Comforts, the uh, uh, John MacArthur, the Pipers, and all those, and a lot of denominational teachers, you know, they believe predestined means they believe in a Calvinist way of thinking about predestined. And you probably do too. Predestination means that God picked certain ones to be saved in the world. That means predestined means he chose who was going to be saved and he chose who was going to hell. If you're going to choose, if God is going to choose who's going to be saved, that therefore the ones he left out mean he chose them to go to hell, right? Right? That's what I get out of it if you believe in predestination in that way. Okay, but that's most a lot of believers believe that, especially the Calvinists. You can look at a study what the Calvinist beliefs are. Predestination to the, those type of teachers like the MacArthur's and the Ray Comfort's and, the, uh, and a lot of other, uh, you know, denominational teachers, traditional teachers, believe predestination means that God chose certain ones to be saved. And you might believe that. I'm not here to debate that. That God chose certain ones to be saved and certain ones to go to hell. I disagree with that. And uh, because... When I understood what predestination really means according to the way the Bible is using predestinate. Now, look at the word before. And it says, teacher, her name is Gail Ripplinger. She breaks down the King James. She's a, you could say a King James fanatic. But uh, she breaks down the King James. And I'm going to learn how to do it because the King James is a very powerful and very interesting and profound, profound miraculous book. And uh, when you try to get the understanding, the Bible, King James is really the only Bible that really interprets itself. I ain't talking about notes and whatever like that. And it's a Bible when you understand, it's a translation when you learn how to understand it that don't really need a lot of notes and stuff like that built in it because it translates itself. It interprets itself, and I did not know that until Gail Ripplinger and a lot of other, you know, you know, not a lot of other ones, was, uh, you know, I was hearing a lot of them teach about that. But let me digress. The predestination is taught by a lot of Calvinists and Lordship sal uh, salvation uh, believers and stuff like that. Those are just different definitions of different type of beliefs. Calvinists and Lordship salvations and you then you got the sensationists and all that and everything. A lot of them believe that predestinate means that God picked certain ones to be saved. In other words, if I'm saying God chose me to be saved already. He chose me. He chose you. He chose this person. He chose that person to be saved. I know I spend a lot of time in that, but this is this is Bible study, so you can understand that predestinate word or have some type of uh, interpretation of it. But when the Bible interprets itself, I, I caught this myself. I understand what Gail Ripplinger was saying. Listen closely. Twenty-nine. To whom he did for no. First of all, let me go in the Living Bible and see what the Living Bible is saying. Now, I'm not using the Living Bible to interpret the King James, but I just want to see, because most believers, uh, believe even interpreters of different translations, believe that's what it means. Let's see. 29 says, Living Bible, for God knew his people in advance, 
and the and he chose them to become like his son. See, they used the chosen too. So they believe the Living Bible translation believes that too. So that's not a correct translation according to me. For God knew his people in advance. Now, I believe he knew who was going to be saved, yes. The, this part I have a problem with. He chose them to become like his son and that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So they believe in that predestination as choice also. That means God chose some and didn't choose others. I don't know. That just contradicts when God says his, his desire is for all men to be saved. That takes away the choosing part. That means he wants all people to be saved, right? The will of God, the number one will of God is for all men and women to be saved and then come into the knowledge of the truth. And there's other scriptures, too, that kind of contradict the, that disinterpretation of predestination. Because God's will for all men, Jesus died for all, right? He didn't just say for some or for many or for some. He said for all. All men, he wants all men to be saved, all. Now, he knows the ones that's going to choose him, the ones that's not. But to say that he chose <coughs> certain ones to be saved and he didn't choose others, that's not the good interpretation of what he said. That contradicts what the teachings of Paul. That contradicts what God is saying through Paul. So let's find the real interpretation. 29, for whom he did foreknow. Look at the word foreknow. This is interpretation somewhat of predestination. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. What was first? He foreknew. What does foreknow mean? He foreknew. In other words, he knew the ones that's going to choose him. He knew that I was going to be saved. He didn't choose me and pick me over somebody else. He didn't stop, you know, fruit picking. He knew everyone that's saved today and is going to be saved in the future, God foreknew who was going to be saved. So he predestinated them. To be conformed. If he already knew you was going to be saved because God knows the past from the future, that's what he meant. Because foreknow is the true interpretation of predestination. For whom he did foreknow, God already foreknew, and he also did. So he predestined the ones that was already that he already foreknew that was going to be saved. He knew I was going to be saved, so he predestined me. You find you see what I'm saying? He didn't pick and choose me over no one else. He knew I was going to accept his son already. You, you, I hope you get that, what I'm saying with that. Okay, let's get off there. But I hope that's very plain. That's the best way to put it. Here come the noise. Okay, here come the noise. Oh, boy. Oh, these ambulance state. I don't know. It's just noisy around here. So, the interpretation of for whom he did foreknow, put emphasis in the King James Bible on foreknow, not chose. That's the wrong interpretation in the living Bible. The chosen is not it, it's the ones he foreknow. For whom he did foreknow, correctly, he already knew. For mean he knew before. Notice that Paul did not say no, it was for. That means he knew already the ones that were going to be saved. So he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, okay, I hope you got that understood. 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, now you can put predestinate on them. He already knew the ones that was going to be saved. Them he also called. He called the ones that was going to be saved, you know, he already knew. And whom he called, listen to this, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Listen to this again. 30, Romans 8 and 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, 
them he also called, the church, the body of Christ, saved people. And whom he called, them he also justified. We are justified in God, the saints, saved people. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, I'm going to teach, do a little teaching on the world. The world was forgiven already. The unsaved was forgiven already. The unsaved can be reconciled to God. They have to be saved, though. The world has already been forgiven of every sin they have committed, past, present, and future. There's no more sins God is imputing or charging against sin, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and 19. Moreover, he did predestinate. The only thing that the, for, um, the forgiven world is missing is salvation. They're not saved. And for them to be saved, then they will be adopting this. Predestinate them to be called. They will be justified and they will be glorified. See, in other words, the world is forgiven, but they are not justified. Okay, they are not redeemed. And they won't be glorified, but they are forgiven for their trespasses and sins. Okay. All right. 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who could be against us? If God is for you, who could be against us? So no matter what kind of things that we go through, what kind of struggles mentally or physically we go through, God is for us. Uh, you got to be walking in the spirit now. You could struggle when you're walking in that flesh because flesh brings condemnation. But you are the spirit man is saved. What shall we say then is God could be for us, not the flesh, but for the spirit man, the saved man, who could be against us? 32, he that spared not his own son, very powerful, but delivered him up for us all. Now, who is all? Not just the saved people, saints, the world. Christ died for the whole world. Christ gave his life for all. All. Now, he that spared not his son, but delivered him up for the saved. Does it say that? Oh, this is what it says. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for only the one that believes that Jesus died for their sins. No, he what? He delivered him up for us all. All means the whole world. I know it says us, but us as an all mean the whole world. When you read the teachings in these uh, Paul's letters, you understand he's talking about the whole world. Now, the whole world's not going to be saved, but the whole world was forgiven. Put emphasis on that. The whole world is not saved or not going to be saved, but the whole world is forgiven. So they don't ever have to confess their sins and talk about forgive me. They are already been forgiven, but they need so they have, they have an they have a they have an opportunity to be saved now. But they are forgiven. Okay, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now the only way to receive these all things is being saved. Is believing what Jesus has done for you. Forgiveness is a wonderful, awesome, miraculous thing, but it's not enough to be saved and get all these things that God wants to give to the world. But the world has to believe and receive it. You follow me? All right. 33. Who shall lay anything to God? I mean, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Okay. Let me read this out of the living Bible. 
33. Let's go here to the Living Bible 33. The Living Bible reads, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Okay, that's the Living Bible. Okay, that's a little more simpler translation. Okay, well, who shall lay anything to the charge? Who shall ridicule us? Who shall bring an accusation against us? All right. It is God that justifies us, the church, the elect. Okay. 34. Who is he? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Christ, I mean, Paul's teaching is basically always on the resurrection. Rather, it's about Christ. The majority of the time, it's about Christ. But the teachings of Paul is always based on the cross and life and resurrection. Never about death or who Jesus was. It's always about what Jesus did. When you read the uh, the letters and the epistles of Paul, you will find out easily what Paul preached. You will find out it's different what Jesus earthly ministered. Preach. Oh, I can say it this way. Look at the differences between Jesus' earthly teachings and his heavenly teachings. His earthly teachings compared to his heavenly teachings are two different type of teachings. They are not the same. Many churches and many ministers will tell you they are, but they are not. If you are a Bible studier, the Holy Spirit will teach you and show you, and it's common sense, that they are not the same. I've done a deep uh and it's been a while since I've done a deep study, a word study on different things out of the, um, uh, the uh, Matthew, especially about the kingdom of heaven and the different sayings of teachers and the way Jesus' earthly ministry and the disciples, the 12 disciples, presented their gospel and their message compared to the letters of Paul, how Jesus used Paul from heaven. See, it's all Jesus. It's not Paul. It's not about Paul. It's not about the 12. No, Peter, James, John, Matthew, and all of them. It's not about them. It's not about the Apostle Paul. It's about the teachings of Christ. Two different type of teachings that uh, Christ taught when it came to Jesus. I mean, when it came to the 12 disciples and then to the apostles, to the Apostle Paul and the other followers, apostles of Paul. Okay? All right? All this stuff you're hearing now, you won't find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You won't find nowhere in the Old Testament. These are mysteries. These are mysteries. Okay? These are mysteries, which you will find in Romans 16 and 25. These are the revelation of the mystery is what Paul calls it. The revelation. All these mystery means secret. So these teachings is for the body of Christ. They was only revealed to the Apostle Paul. Never revealed to Peter or nobody. Go to the book of Galatians. Paul would say plainly that his teachings did not come by man, but it came by what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the same teachings. It's not the law. It's not the Torah. It's not conditions. It's not repent and be baptized and water baptized. It didn't come with a miraculous size, even though it, it started off that way because he was showing, you know, blah, 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 the different how Jesus is now working through the Gentiles. But the teachings and the law and all that other stuff is not the same. Peter's teachings is different than Paul, way different when you word study both. Jesus' earthly ministry and teachings and gospel is different than Jesus' heavenly ministry, the glorified Jesus. 
When Jesus was on earth, he taught the kingdom program and he taught the law. Jesus was born under the law, according to the book of Galatians. Under the law, Jesus came to preach to Israel. His messages to Israel is different than his message to the Gentiles through the Apostle Paul. Two different programs. Okay, I'm going around. All right. 34. Who is he that condemned it? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Jesus makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us? I like to put me right here now. I got this from somebody. And this is, this is interesting. 35. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us? Put yourself, make it, make this person, okay? I mean this, saints, make this person. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall trouble, any type of distress, or persecution, or famine? You know, there's a lot of struggles that they all predicting today when it comes to tribulation and famine. You hear of a lot of uh, conservative thinkers and, uh, you know, about the struggles that's going on, the food shortages, and all this is real. A lot of us blown out of proportion, but a lot of us real. And if you listen to a lot of as a believer, you think we're going through a tribulation because you don't read your Bible and you're too caught up in these worldly things. It's a distraction. And I do a teaching on delusions and distraction. It's a distraction. And if you keep believing it, you become delusional. You can't get into the word of God because you're too distracted with what's going on to the world. And it brings fear. Fear numbs faith. Let me say that again. Fear, F-E-A-R, I think I'm spelling that right, it numbs faith, F-A-I-T-H. Fear numbs faith, and you know God did not give us the spirit of fear. Fear numbs faith, so if you stay in the worldly things, if you can't handle it, and you don't, you're in the worldly things more than your Bible, it's going to numb your faith, and it's going to bring fear, and you're going to think you're going through the tribulation, you're going to start doubting the rapture, you're going to start doubting many things like that, and probably not openly, but in your heart. It affects all of us if we get into that worldly thing. It brings fear and doubt, okay? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore? That just means whatever struggles you're going through mentally and physically. All right. 36. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. We, Paul's talking about what they're going through in that time, but it can also talk, it can also relate to us, whatever struggles we're going through. Some of us struggle more than others, especially if you're teaching the word of God and you're talking about Jesus, you're going to face persecution. If you're not doing nothing for God, you're not going to see this. You're going to be living in your little whatever you're living in and not going to go through a lot of stuff. But it's when you're trying to get the word out there and you're really fighting against certain things, you're going to face persecution. Okay. 37. Okay, let me read 36 again. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, Paul never was going through so much struggles and persecution themselves in their time. So you got to go back in their time. They were struggling through persecution from the, I think it was what, the time of, going into the time of Nero. Then I think Peter then went through that too. He was known as a ruthless uh, Caesar. Now, I'm not sure about this, if it was Nero. But remember, you had these these crazy uh, Caesars. Nero, and I think Caligula was one of the most weirdest ones and craziest guys. I like the actor that played Caligula, even though it was fictional. And one of my best movies ever, The Robe, with Richard Burton, you know. You know, this guy was really strange. He even looked strange, too. But let me digress. You know, it was a lot of persecution that was going through. Paul was going through so much persecution because of what he taught. He taught the resurrection of the dead. 
That was a message of Apostle Paul, the resurrection of the dead. He taught who Jesus, what Jesus done, not so much who Jesus was. Now, earlier through his ministry, when he went to the Jews camp and he went to the synagogues, he taught them, the Jews, who Jesus was because they had to believe that Jesus was their king. The Jews had to believe that Jesus was their foretelling or their coming Messiah. So, yes, he taught them the kingdom program fires them knowing who Jesus was. But when he went out to the Gentiles, he gave them an opportunity. When he went to the Gentiles, he did not teach them about who Jesus was. He taught them of what Jesus done. Now, they need to understood who Jesus was, but when it came to salvation, he was teaching them the resurrection of what Jesus done and the benefits they can get now. He wasn't touching them, teaching them about the law. He wasn't teaching them about Abraham's promises and nothing like that, but he gave them examples when it came to faith because why? That's universal. When it comes to faith, that's not a law. Faith is not a law. Faith is not a commandment. Faith is something that you need. They need it in the time past. The body of Christ needs it today. So that's universal. Faith, okay? It's just like forgiveness. Forgiveness is a universal thing. Forgiveness, everybody is forgiven. The whole world, the good and the bad and the evil and the rotten are forgiven. That's universal. Salvation is not universal. Salvation, you have to receive and you have to believe it. Salvation, you have to believe what Jesus done. Salvation is not universal. Forgiveness is universal. Forgiveness, this is very powerful. And I think Trey Searcy, Trey Searcy really got this in my head. And I'm going to end it right there. Trey Searcy. This is so true. True Time Radio, look up True Time Radio, outstanding teacher, Trey Searcy. But forgiveness is universal. Forgiveness, you have forgiveness whether you believe that or not. You don't have to have faith to believe you are forgiven. That's already been done. That's already been done. You don't need to have faith to get forgiveness. You don't have to ask God for forgiveness. And even if you don't, Ask God for forgiveness. You still, you still are forgiven when it comes to your trespasses and sins. But salvation, you have to believe. You don't have to believe that you are forgiven because you're going to be forgiven anyway. That's a done deal on the cross. But salvation, you have to believe it. To receive eternal life, you have to believe it. Okay? All right. I thought I'd just put that in there. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, and all these things were naming no, and all these things were more than conquerors to him that loved us. For I am persuaded, verse 38 of 8, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor not even angels, nor principalities, ranks, different ranks and powers and governments, spiritual or physical, because you have two different governments, spiritual and the principalities and powers and the spiritual realm, which is led by Satan, the liturgy. All powers, nor things present, nor things to come. 39, no height, no death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us or separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, put me over that us. Separate me. Let's say it together. Separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's it. That's the teaching on Romans 8. Romans 8 is now done. God bless you all. Hope you got something out of that. Please go over these tapes and um, these tapes, <laughs> these uh, audios and just get some script and read all 
four, five, six, seven, eight chapters of Romans. You will get a blessing out of that and you get an understanding. The Holy Spirit is there to teach you as well. You can pick up some things that I have messed up. Bible study is very important to get something out of. Bible study is very important. I find myself, I cannot read the Bible without studying every little verse now. It's hard for me to just read God's word now without trying to study it. That's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. When you study God's word and you understand his word, you can read God's word without trying to figure out what's going on. Why? Because you studied it. That's the difference between reading and studying. So even when I try to read certain verses and I'm just flying right through it, I feel frustrated because I don't get nothing out of it. I have to just understand it and I have to read it and let the Holy Spirit teach me. I make mistakes as well, but you go back and you keep reading. You let others teach you. You keep your mind open for the Spirit of God to teach you. So studying to show thyself approved, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth is very important. 2 Timothy 2 and 15. So you can be able to come into the knowledge of truth according to 1 Corinthians 2 and 4, 2 and 8, one of those. Okay? God bless you all. Salvation is for today. If you never believed in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is your chance. You just have to believe it, generally. Receiving it is proving you're believing it. Let me say that again. Receiving it is proof. The proof of your believing it is by you receiving it of what he done on the cross. Explanation of who Jesus was. Talk to someone. I have a phone number I can give you if you're interested. Go to my other previous teachings. Yes, it's good. You can still read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where you're not saved. But you will never get a spiritual understanding because your spirit is dead. The day of salvation is today. Salvation is for today. You are already have you have already been forgiven. You don't have to say, Lord, I confess my sins. What sins are you confessing? And this is also good out of Trey Cersei. You notice I mentioned Trey Cersei a lot. This man has helped me, has helped me a lot. He got me in, not physically, to study the word to God, to look at the wording, to take my time. And that's how I look at the Bible now. And there's so much I have missed when I just read it. And go a lot of verses I have read so many times and never got it because I never studied it. I never looked at the words. And just getting some understanding of it. You have already been forgiven. Forgiven. It's not the forgiveness is not the issue. The whole world is forgiven. Say, man, I've done this. I'm 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 a homosexual, man. I'm a drug addict, man. I got three different women. Man, I'm tired of struggling right there. That's been forgiven. Is it wrong? Yes, it's wrong. It's not good. And you're going to suffer the benefits in your body, but God has not imputed that against you. He has not charged you for that sin. So your sins have been forgiven. He said, really? Now I'm going to heaven? No, you're not going to heaven. I don't mean that sarcastically, but you're not going to heaven. You have to believe that. And what's the way to get to heaven is believing what Jesus done on the cross. 
you know who he was or someone who he was, believe by faith of what he did, his death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you believe that by receiving it, then you are saved. So your sins is never an issue with God. Grace overwhelms all sins. Not even close. God's grace, that's the deep definition of God's unmerited favor. His favor of forgiving every man, all people of their sins. Why? Because he had to get the sin the sin problem out the way. Not your nature, not, not your sin used, the sins you're committing, but the charges. He had to wipe that slate clean before he gave you the opportunity to be saved. Because God cannot look at sin. He cannot be around sin. You cannot, you just say, if somebody say you have to confess your sins first, you cannot get that close to God with your sins in the way. We was taught we had to confess our sins. What sins? You can't confess nothing that you don't have anymore. I didn't say that you don't do. I'm saying the penalty against it. God took care of that on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. So your forgiveness has already been taken care of. Now justification, redemption, glorification, and all the spiritual spiritual blessings of heavenly places, that's what you need to get to heaven. I mean, that comes with part of your benefits, your adoption and all that. You're not a child of God now until you get adopted into the body of Christ and how did that happen? By believing in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. You do that then you are saved. No more excuses about your sins. God don't see sins. He see your faith. God don't see sins. He see your unbelief of what his son done. God bless you. This is Joseph Brownlee, Body of Christ. I keep saying Body of Christ real talk because I mentioned Body of Christ so much. This is connecting the dots, and we are part of the Body of Christ if you are saved. But if you're not saved, this is your opportunity. No more excuses about your sins. I don't care what you have done. That's already been taken care of. You are free from sins according to the eyes of God, but you're not saved. You're still going to hell even with your sins forgiven. Salvation, going to hell has nothing to do with your sins. There's no sins. God wiped that out. It's your unbelief of what Jesus done and believe in that. God bless you. Love y'all. Peace out. This is Joseph Brownlee connecting the dots. Love y'all. Hope you enjoyed the teachings. Stay tuned for the continuation back on Genesis, the early chapters. Let's get into that. Bye-bye. Peace out.